Each new challenge also provides a new opportunity for us to reinvent the industry and reconsider ways in which we've done things in the past. This is why the registry continues to provide industry insights through personal interviews with the leaders who are shaping real estate each and every day. By subscribing to our podcast, you are helping us in our work, and we will continue to deliver programming such as the one you're about to hear. Please click the subscribe button and let your friends and colleagues know about us. It will help you and the industry stay ahead of the game. Today we sit down with Mark Gilbreth, the CEO of Liquid Space, which is the largest real-time network for office space serving individuals and teams from over 109,000 businesses in 2,700 cities. The Liquid Space network transforms the entire commercial real estate process by connecting growing teams and professionals looking for space directly with venue partners, space providers, real estate professionals, and service providers. The company's online tools simplify the discovery and transaction of office space, and their reimagined legal framework eliminates the cost and complexities of traditional leasing. Through Liquid Space, office space can be yours with a click, and you can pay by the hour, day, month, or longer. No lease, no hassle. Welcome to the pod, Mark. Mark, good afternoon. How are you? Uh, doing well, Vlad. Nice to be with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Where do we find you today? Where is your office? I am in my liquid space office in downtown Ketchum, Idaho. Okay. Which is, uh, perhaps more known as the, the ski town of Sun Valley. Excellent. Excellent. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. By way of introduction, uh, Mark, tell us, uh, tell us a little about you know your yourself, kind of how you know, liquid space came about, how all of that started. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, some of the, some of the big, big moments in the evolution of the organization. Yeah, I'm happy to. I, uh, um, before I called Ketchum, Idaho home, my, my prior home was the Bay Area. And uh, I was a electrical engineer out of college and uh, moved straight to Silicon Valley and, and started my technology career in the semiconductor industry. Uh, worked for a fantastic company called Altera. For anybody that's familiar with them in the Bay Area, but I was yeah I was in the uh, <laughs> um, I was in the Silicon Valley, the Silicon side of Silicon Valley back when Silicon was cool. You know, before <laughs> software, before right. software got cool, and before software started eating the world, so to speak. And uh, you know, fast forward through a few um, entrepreneurial sort of leaps, I uh, stumbled into commercial real estate. Not in I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll disclose to you and your listeners that it wasn't, it wasn't sort of a strategic or, or, or highly intentional leap. But I, I got pulled into doing some real estate development work first as an investor, okay. and then I got interested in it. Um, and I, I actually ended up first developing a, a small portfolio of sort of higher end self storage facilities around the Boise, Idaho market. Okay, and then that led into developing a, a spec office building. I, I actually built ground up the first lead gold office building in Idaho. And I did so actually with the express purpose of that building, that the building being a shared workspace building. Uh, and I, and I, uh, we, we brought this building to market. Uh, it actually got occupancy on it in November of 2008. Okay. Uh, and if anybody remembers uh, 2008, that was the last sort of major 
crisis that the, the, yes. the economy faced. Right? Yes, the, the, I, I remember it vividly because it was right when I started my business <laughs> too, Mark. <laughs> yeah, uh, in fact, it was, six, it was six weeks after Lehman Brothers had collapsed, yeah. and, which let's all recall was a real estate-related uh, yes. recession. right. Um, but we had we had uh, we had conceived of this sort of green building as a platform to experiment with sort of new models for how real estate could be used and leased and, and designed. Um, and the, the the grand idea was actually uh, inspired by what I had observed in the self storage business, which, in a nutshell, is in you know the business model in self storage is you can have any size space you want and it's a monthly license agreement. Right. You want a 10 by 10 locker or a 10 by 20 or a 10 by 30. You, know, you, have, you can upsize or downsize as you need to. Right? Yeah. It's flexibility, right? And the concept of this building was, could we, could we translate those same principles of flexibility and efficiency of use into an office building? And could we, you know, could we crack the code on a, 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 an office solution, a workspace solution being more user responsive, more more capital efficient, you know, greener, more sustainable, more productive. Yeah. And so, in 2008, we we built this building, and um, and instead of taking leases for the tenancy inside the building, we uh, we offered memberships, and um, we called those memberships liquid space memberships. And the idea was, you pay a monthly fee, and you could tap into any of the spaces within the building. We had meeting rooms and offices, project spaces, and, and you know seminar spaces and lounges. Um, and, uh, and, and we, we, we also co-opted the word co-working in 2008. Yeah. This was not nearly as widely known as it is today. Right. And our, our grand vision at the time was that we could deliver space more efficiently to customers, large and small. It would be more economically flexible. We could let them make shorter term commitments and we would build a network of these buildings. That was the idea. That was how we were going to take over the world. We would we build a network of these liquid space buildings and that um, we'd be able to serve the needs of large and small companies wherever they needed space. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the, the, the global financial crisis happened and, and I got a, a quick and very hard lesson on two things. <laughs> In one, commercial property ownership, right? <laughs> yeah, I got, I got two painful lessons. One, one, one was, uh, the first lesson I got was, oh my goodness, um, there's a lot of inventory already out there. You know, yeah. you know I saw it. You know, all, all of the leasing signs that started to pop up in front of buildings and, and, you know, with taglines like first six months free, first 12 months free. Like suddenly I, I reconciled just how much underutilized capacity was out there. And then the second more painful lesson was, you know, the implications of, <laughs> of you know, personal guarantees and, and asset heavy business models. Right. So. Fifteen months later, we, uh, as as the GFC worsened, and you know that experiment, that building ended. We sold the building. It was it was not a happy outcome. Yeah. But I walked away with clarity and conviction that the concept of networks of space that could be available flexibly was a powerful concept. I also came away with clarity and conviction that. There was an opportunity to better utilize the existing built landscape. That that needed to be a part of the equation. Yeah. Rather than building more buildings, how do we how do we use the ones that are already there? And and the second generation of liquid space took form. So instead of an asset heavy developer based build build assets model, I relaunched and for the first time incorporated the company as Liquid Space Inc. 
and and relaunched it to be a technology company, yeah. to be a digital marketplace that that allowed building owners and space operators with space to share to be listed and discoverable and bookable by people that were looking for space on flexible terms. We, yeah. we became the digital marketplace for flexible office. Right. And this is also a, just to sort of maybe, you know, draw an obvious comparison, but, you know, like Uber effectively or like Lyft, you were finding ways to put to use or to utilize an underutilized asset effectively, right? Finding space that either companies had, you know, maybe not, you know, much use for or didn't use it as much in general and uh, provide them an opportunity to either, you know, earn some money back, essentially. I mean, that's that's kind of, that was kind of the idea in that sort of V2 of liquid space, correct? Yeah, I, I'd say like Uber, we knew that the experience needed to have a, you know, delightfully easy to use mobile experience. Yeah, in interface, pocket. yeah. Yeah, but I, I'd say... From a business model and a, a platform standpoint, you know, the closer the closer parallel would be, you know, an Airbnb or an Open Table, sure. or like IE. It's a marketplace, and so yep. Yep. and with regards to the spaces or the real estate in our marketplace, you know, the partners that list their space on our platform, it's actually grown to now include kind of three categories or contexts of property. One one category, and the one we started with was co-working spaces and executive suites operators that were already operating. Like we we they're all listed on our platform now, so you can go to Liquid Space as the one platform where you can discover and evaluate and transact with WeWork and Regis and Industrious and Pacific and Premier and Serendipity Labs and Novel. It's a very fragmented market, just like the hotel world is. So we aggregated all of that to be a, a simple one-stop shop platform for the customer. Yeah. We also found that there was the opportunity to bring in a second category, which was private companies uh, that have extra space that they want to share, as you touched on, Vlad. So the startup company that has the 10,000 square foot lease in San Francisco and right now is only using half that space has, has, you know, has 50 extra desks that they might want to share and monetize. Thousands of companies are listing that type of inventory on our platform, which in the old world, pre-liquid space, you know, your only remedy as an occupier, if you had excess space, was to try to sublet it. Yeah. But we make it easier and more flexible. Yep. And then the third category is, is building owners. This, this is the most recent sort of an emerging phenomena. In the old days or in, in the not too distant days, building owners really only thought about long-term leases. But I think there's been an enormous awakening. Uh, and COVID is accelerating this, by the way that more and more customers are looking for space on flexible terms. And so now you've got landlords that are building flexible office suites or are even op even creating co-working offerings of their own. And so landlords are now becoming partners in our platform also. Yeah, 100%. And so in line with that, you just recently announced the platform, right? The sort of the evolution of your platform. Can you tell us a little bit about that and sort of, you know, where, where that's heading? Sure. So... As we've grown and scaled over the last eight plus years, um, I'll, I'll give it. I'll give it in two chapters, uh, Vlad. There is the history from our launch at South by Southwest a number of years ago, up through January yeah, <laughs> of this yeah. year, up up until COVID, and then I'll share some insights into what COVID has done to the industry and and how it has shaped and accelerated some of our product offerings with a with a recent announcement. So, up until COVID, up until January of 2020. Our platform was you know, delightfully simple, but it was a it was a, 
a business to consumer type of experience. Anybody would go to liquidspace.com, whether you are a startup company or a freelancer or a large enterprise, you'd go to liquidspace.com and, and you could self-service. You could search, find, and book space. And, and, you know, we've got massive enterprises, including the federal government that do that. And we have, you know, you know thousands of, of smaller operators and even individuals that use the platform. Um, but it was all self-service. It was a business to consumer play. Yeah. And then COVID hit. And, you know, some of, I, I'm, I'm sure your audience is, is deeply studied in this, but I'll, I'll, I'll point to some of the, the key aspects of COVID as it relates to the flexible office industry. And in particular, as it relates to enterprise customers, which are a, a keen interest to us. We all now know that uh, when COVID struck, people went home. We had to. We also now know that when people went home, the world didn't end. I mean, like work continued, Yeah. right? The robust technology infrastructure that now exists in 2020 kind of saved the day, right? Um, the ability to work at home saved the day. <laughs> uh, you know, Wi-Fi, Zoom, Slack, the myriad of tools, and, and, and just the intent and the, the resiliency of, of companies and their employees. Like we all carried on and it worked. So work from home sort of saved the day, but in the wake of that, the clarity that followed that in the weeks and months that followed that sort of grand experiment of working from home, companies have now learned that their employees were able to work from home and and get work done. Yeah, quite they've successfully, also, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, and they've also learned that employee sentiment around that, in many cases, was, was quite positive. Yeah, it evolved, now, yeah. Yep. Yeah, not every employee wants to work from home and only home, um, but uh, a great many employees, in fact, the majority of employees in countless enterprise surveys and sentiment assessments have voiced that with clarity that if given the option, they would like home to be a part of their workplace, yeah. you know, two, three, four days a week. And so what that has yielded in the enterprise sort of realm is a clarity that home will be a part of the equation. And moreover, it's brought clarity for most enterprises that the traditional headquarters, the traditional office portfolio, the leased portfolio is for most companies now looking larger than what they think they're going to need going forward. Yeah. And furthermore, most workplace leaders and CFOs and, and C-suite figures at large companies also have now a heightened appetite for flexibility and agility. Yeah. And so what does that mean? That means that the growing consensus of what workplace is going to be going forward is going to be not a return to HQ, but a combination of HQ plus home plus flexible offices, more use of co-working spaces, more use of on-demand space more use of regional hubs and satellite offices with flexible term offerings being kind of the underpinning of that. Right. So, and that, by the way, that clarity was coming through as early as April. It was, I think it was, it was late April when uh, James Gorman, the CEO of Morgan Stanley said on Bloomberg TV. I remember. Yeah. 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 I mean, that 90% of our employees are working from home. Um, we've had no major issues. Quote, clearly we will need much less real estate. <laughs> Right. That, that, that was a, I, I remember that day. It certainly sent shocks, you know, or, or, or yeah. shivers, if you will, through the commercial real estate yeah. space, you know, not just in New York, but I think everywhere, because it became yeah. kind of a realization of, uh, 
what could be done, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I refer to it, Vlad, as sort of a, like the Lexington and Concord moment, right? You yeah. shot her around the world. <laughs> yeah, right? right. Yeah. Right. So so we started pulling on that thread. Like, you know, I mean, you know, we, we pretty quickly hypothesized and, and quickly concluded for ourselves that, that not to be trite, but that there was going to be a new and distinctly different normal somewhere down the road. And we started leaning into, you know, the enterprise clients that we were already working with and, and a lot of just reflection and inspection on what, what will the new needs be. And what came from that reflection and research was clarity that the majority of companies, in particular midsize and large enterprises, were going to be leaning more heavily into flexible office. That use of flexible office itself was going to sort of take two primary forms. Like they were going to need to be able to enable their employees to have on-demand access to space yeah. and, and oftentimes yeah. near home. Yeah. How, how can I... I'm Vlad's employer. How can I give Vlad the ability to find and transact, you know, a space for a day near home or a space to meet with colleagues near home? That 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 needed to be solved for. And also that companies were going to be hungry to to tap into more and more dedicated space, but on flexible terms. Yeah. And in particular, enterprises were going to be looking to do even more of this and sooner than the already rosy forecasts had predicted. Vlad, I'm sure you had you had seen the the multiple reports pre-COVID of you know, predictions, and JLL was was one of the authors of these. But predictions that you know by 2030, the average enterprise will have 30% of its workplace sort of in flexible office. Right. So we now believe, and and I, I'm not alone in this, that that those predictions, which were already rosy, yeah, that's happening, but faster. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I've seen some other stuff. Uh, there's a San Francisco-based company called VergeSense, which did a white paper earlier in the year, and they they create these little you know beacons, and people have heard me talk about these. Um, yeah. But their little beacons, you know, can be placed around offices to essentially monitor the utilization of a you know physical space, and and not just whether you know, people are walking around and creating heat maps of certain areas, but they can actually, you know, detect things like whether there's a jacket hanging on a chair to really understand whether something is being used, but maybe not used to, to you know, the extent of actually somebody sitting there and working there, right? So their, their, their analysis of sort of pre-COVID space utilization in the, in the office was at, at 30%. Mm-hmm. And during COVID, that that utilization dropped to under three percent. And and in my mind, I'm like, if you're a CFO of any company, if you're not now all of a sudden reevaluating all of this, um, you're gonna have a really hard time, you know, proving to your boss that you should be a CFO. And I think that's a that's a very powerful kind of thing. Um, yeah. And you're absolutely right. I think all of these things are getting accelerated, and companies yeah. are as from it from from anecdotes that I've heard and people that I've talked to really, really rethinking what the office means going forward. Absolutely. And in fact, I think um, there are two interesting camps inside of the enterprise, which are, have sort of converged and are now working sort of in unison. And, you know, one of those camps is the financial side. I mean, the C, you know, I'm, I'm confident most CFOs at, at midsize and certainly public enterprises are actively inspecting what the opportunity is to reduce real estate expense. Yeah. And, and many, many, many companies that we're working with have already drawn their conclusions and, and are mobilizing on their plans. You know, what leases can I end early? What spaces will I exit as they end? Like they're, they're, they're act, they've, they've charted that course. So that, so you've got one, one camp or dimension, which is the economic optimization opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. The other camp is the workplace experience or people officer 
who is now recognized and reconciled and concluded that our employees can work in a distributed and remote way some of the time, some employees perhaps all of the time, and that there are positive attributes of that from an, from an experience and productivity and hiring and retention and agility standpoint. Yeah. So you've got, and, 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 and perhaps for the first time ever, those two interests are complementary because what's happening in totality is that many large companies like take, take Dropbox, for example, that was wonderfully public with their new strategy. They've, they've now resolved that, Individual work will be done at home, and the purpose of office and, and workplace, whether it's a co-working space on demand or whether it's a leased office, is to support culture and collaboration. But that's not all the time. That's yeah, not twenty-four-seven. Yeah, yeah. And but they work in unison. So you know they're going to end up with a workplace which is smaller and more capital efficient, and and more productive. There's been a lot of I think unnecessarily polarized. An unconstructive debate in the media. You know, the office is dead. You know, or or home versus office. It's not so simple as that. I agree. This is the broader truth. Yeah, it's it's the and workplace is not home or office. It's home and office and flexible office. It's yeah. the three. Yeah. Anyway, that you, know, you asked me about our new product offering. So that, that all leads us to uh, <laughs> about a month ago we announced uh, a new offering called Liquid Space Enterprise, which is our introduction to the market of a whole new category of software, something that we call work from anywhere management. And it's a tool set for enterprise workplace leaders to enable them to sort of have command and control over this whole new domain. It's a platform that lets them plan for people needs and the economic needs and the place needs and and set up and launch, you know, on-demand space programs uh, for their company. Uh, And, uh, and, you know, it was ideas we'd had for some time, but COVID accelerated them, and we're we're quite excited to, to bring it to market. Mark, and you've also given us a heads up. Do you have another announcement that you're making this week? Tell us about that. Yeah, in fact, uh, just today uh, we announced a partnership that I'm very excited about. Um, uh, strategically, uh, we announced a partnership with Comfy, uh, okay. which is a employee experience app. It's now yep. part of Siemens. Uh, but Comfy uh, has been an early pioneer and a leader on delivering a mobile-first uh, employee or tenant experience app you know, to allow you know, the, the user of a workspace to be able to you know, tap into and manipulate their workspace, whether it's controlling environmentals or, or booking a meeting room or, or tapping into other services. And you know, Comfy sells to larger enterprises to augment the headquarters experience. Um, We've partnered with Comfy and they with us to um, add the liquid space marketplace of on-demand or work-from-anywhere spaces uh, to the Comfy app as a, an additional service. Okay. And the, you know, the big idea around that is that in a work-from-anywhere world where on a given day I might be at a co-working space near home and on another day I might be booking a meeting room back at the headquarters to collaborate with colleagues – what the market needs and is going to want is a converged or a unified technology experience that lets me do both those things through the same platform. And so by integrating liquid space with Comfy, we've created the first example of an integrated employee experience that traverses on-demand space from co-working spaces and, and distributed providers with headquarters space. 
Um, and we're, we're super excited about that. Comfy's a great team. They have a great product. And, and we think this really does, uh, in a substantial way, um, address a, a burning need that most companies are going to be facing as they move to reentry. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. And Mark, if you don't mind me asking, you know, how is the company doing? Do you have investors? Do you have interest in your in your platform from outside investors? You know, what are kind of some of your goals around around that aspect of uh, of building the enterprise? Uh, yeah. So uh, we have fantastic investors currently: Shasta Ventures and Floodgate and Greylock and Black Diamond Ventures and strategic investors like Steelcase. And so we've got a wonderful set of of insightful investors and. Like, how is the business doing? Well, I, I, uh, I gave a, a presentation at the Global Workspace Association uh, conference just last week where in the opening remarks uh, to the conference, I, I commented that there's, a, there's an odd duality, almost a multiverse yeah. that we're in right now in the, in, in the office industry and in the flexible office industry in particular. You could quote Charles Dickens in, in The Tale of Two Cities where it, the opening line was, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. We're kind of in a similar moment <laughs> yes. as that, yes. right? Because yeah. there's there's the immediate reality, which is that the flexible office economy is in a dire recession right now, but because people are working predominantly at home, so co-working spaces are struggling because people are not able to be out and transacting. Yeah, right. And and our business is you know, suffers for that. At the very same time, there is no question that the near outlook for the scale and the growth rate for the flexible office economy is substantially larger than it was in January. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you know, if you're a if you're a space operator or a technology platform that serves that industry, you've got to be careful right now because you have to deal with both those universes. The fact that that real real economy is compressed right now, but that the opportunity looking forward is dramatically larger than it was thought to be even 10 months ago. How would you categorize your competition then? Who, who, who is taking attention from what you're trying to do? Well, one, one dimension of competition, uh, frankly, is the entities that wish, the, that wish, for, the fa- wish for a world that doesn't change, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So like, who, who wants the world to be as it was in January? Well, I mean, the, the brokerage community... Uh, or many in the brokerage community probably would wish for a world where tenure leases were reasonable for any office requirement. Yeah. Right. Real estate attorneys who provide lease negotiations and contract negotiations would wish for a world where every real estate contract was a lease. Yeah. And that world is over. Leasing's not dead. Leasing's not gone. <laughs> yeah, it's just going to be different. But it, but but the tenure lease is not the only answer now, yeah. and and companies are are dramatically rallying around. How can we be more agile? How can we move faster? How can we simplify real estate? How can we rebalance our portfolio to space on demand, complementing smaller but more efficient use of lease space? So. So one one dimension of competition is the brokerage community that has never really embraced in a fulsome way concepts of flexibility because it, it ran counter to their economic incentives. And you, you can't paint every brokerage firm or every broker with that same brush. But broadly speaking, the center point of their business is the long term commitment. Right? Um, and the center point of our business is empowering customers to be able to space buy space efficiently, rapidly. And without the need of a broker, unless they want to bring one to the discussion. 
we're agnostic, but but that, that's a one-dimensional competition. In a more pure play and direct context, there are other technology companies that are taking various sort of cracks at how to to enable you know the enterprise customer to to have space on demand. Sure. Yeah. No one that scares us or is ahead of us at this point. So we're in one of those moments where I think there's a a pretty clear blue ocean uh, available to us and and one that is vast. So I I, th- I fully expect to see lots of innovation in this realm, and uh, and we're in a great position and you know, humble but but eager and confident that we're well positioned to, to bring a lot of value to a specific set of problems that nearly every large enterprise is wrestling with right now. How do I avail myself of flexible office in an efficient and a scalable way? And we think we've got the answer for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 great. Um, Mark, you've, um, like many of us uh, who have found more time at home during these days, um, kicked off a podcast. So you've been talking to people throughout the industry, kind of trying to understand you know, their perspectives on what is happening. I have found it to be actually uh, quite an amazing experience for me because I'm really learning about sort of where where things are going, um, and I think through through these interviews and these personal connections, it's been it's been a nice way to kind of keep tabs on um, on uh, what is what is happening. Tell me about your podcast and your experience with that. Are you are you finding it to be just as rewarding? Um, yes, and though I've not been nearly as prolific as you, Vlad, and I and I <laughs> and I and it's been a little bit too long of a dark spell. But yes, I I. Uh, uh, I, I launched a podcast about a year and a half ago called The Flexible Office Economy. Okay. Uh, you can find it on Podbean or, or iTunes. And, and I, you know, I sought to do my best to have interesting conversations with various constituents that sort of are either serving or feeding off of the flexible office economy. So you know, Robert Teed at ServiceNow yeah. uh, as, as an occupier in a, in a in, a, in an outspoken and eager user of flexible office, you know, Lisa Picard at EQ representing, yeah. yep. you know, uh, forward thinking uh, and visionary landlords that are asking the question, you know, what does my customer want and how might flexibility play to it? And, and various co-working operators and, you know, Ryan Simonetti from Convene and, and on and on. So that, that's been, a, that's been a, um, a, a very rewarding undertaking. I, I, I uh, I'm sure I do it somewhat clumsily, but but certainly when I launched it pre-COVID, I, I thought it to be a fresh and important topic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and now there's a whole set of new chapters to be written in that podcast, and I'm eager to, to get back to <laughs> get it. going with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And if and while it's probably not a good marketing strategy to rename it sort of midlife, I'll probably give some consideration to to rechristening it the work from anywhere podcast, right, but right. I'll, I'll, I'll welcome your, your advice on that topic perhaps, but yeah. Or, but, uh, you know, record from anywhere podcast, which is kind of what everybody is <laughs> trying to do anyway. So yeah, excellent. Right. Excellent. Um, well, great. So, um, what have been some of the things that have really surprised you in, in the last, you know, nine months, um, you know, things that, you know, both on a positive and kind of negative end, you know, were interesting to you that gave you more insight about kind of where, things are going or how quickly they're going there or just in general, how somebody's, you know, reacting to what's happening. Yeah. Well, I've been stunned by the speed and severity is not the right word, but the speed and scope of change with regards to workplace strategy. Yeah. Like it has been a tidal wave of change. I mean, we, 
you know, we spoke of that, you know, shot heard around the world from Morgan Stanley back in April. But in the weeks and months that followed that, the pronouncements from Facebook and Okta and Shopify and and Atlassian and Google and and companies across all industries of all sizes, by 90 days into this grand experiment in this in this crisis, frankly, the consensus opinion had shifted to we are going to enable work from home forever, <laughs> you know, to varying degrees. And, you know, some companies as far as it is there forever and you know, Dropbox, like all individual work will be done at home forevermore to other companies that took more modest but still radical steps of it will always be an option, but we're going to provide headquarters too. But yeah. As someone who championed those principles of flexibility and choice for 10 years to and and and, and had you know seen the industry, you know, double its consumption of co-working over the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah. But still it was only 3% of workplace footprint to now suddenly see the pendulum swing violently forward. It's just been stunning. Yeah. Uh, I've been I'm still amazed um, at at how rapidly and how uh, how rapidly the consensus of what the future will be has annealed around this principle of work from anywhere, where uh, it is going to be a combination of these three dimensions we've been talking about. So uh, um, it it blows me away. And and look, it's it's you know, it's you know, (laughs) It's 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 also stunning to me. Like we are at the right place at the right time now. Like we've, you know, the the platform that we've been building and scaling for eight plus years that enables some of those basic rhythms now seems even hyper relevant. So, um, you know, I, I pinch myself on on that repeatedly. Yeah, that's very interesting, Mark. Given all the kind of negative aspects and negative news that have happened, uh, you know, just throughout industry and economy and the world in general over the last year or so, tell us what what gives you hope. <sighs> oh, I'm a, my my colleagues or my our crew members here at Liquid Space will would probably laugh and and they'd certainly tell you in a private moment that I'm I'm kind of the eternal optimist, and so I, I always look at. Where I look at most situations with a glass half full, so I'm 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 usually fairly quick to to express hope. Now, mind you, what a devastating year it's been on yeah. so many dimensions, right? And I, you know, the, the despair I feel is largely linked to aspects of what could have been avoided uh, had we charted you know different paths in sure. response to sure. this health threat. But not notwithstanding that, looking at our industry, Vlad, looking at the office industry, like there, you know. I'm enthralled with the resiliency that's being demonstrated. I'm, I'm, I'm inspired by the elasticity of point of view that large companies are, are showing as they embrace what are radical changes in strategy like that. That's hope. Like that's the elasticity of, of the possible. That, that's, the, um, that's the art of the possible. And the simple fact that great companies have continued to be able to execute. Now, there's a lot of folks that have been left out. <laughs> you know, in, in the last nine months and that, yeah. that can't be ignored, but I, I, I've got, I've got great confidence in, in the opportunities for technology to quickly evolve and adapt to augment and fill the gaps that are presented. There's new challenges to be solved now, like, like work from anywhere presents new challenges and, um, and building culture and reinforcing culture presents new, exciting challenges yeah. to be solved yeah. for. Right? And maybe things yeah. we don't even know yet. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. 
And and look, like, like just to put a final point on that, I mean, the light we now have the light at the end of the tunnel, right? You know, this week was a momentous week on yes. on many fronts, yes. but but with vaccines shipping, and hopefully with public confidence starting to build around that, you know, we now finally can can perhaps look with a lot more confidence that, my friend, by this time this next year, right, we should be in a more normalized economy right we this this crushing threat from a health standpoint should be behind us and and with that workplaces whether they are co-working spaces or headquarters they will be occupied in ways that they can't be right now and uh, and and we'll we'll get to see the real outline of the new normal yeah it will become clear yeah that's exactly right mark uh, with those words thank you so much stay safe and happy holidays uh, you as well sir greatly appreciated today's chat thank you